So, um, wow, what a year it's been. What a season change. Um, it never turns out the way you think it will, and I don't think any of us thought we'd be here right now uh, in this position with COVID-19, but here we are, and we're doing our best. And uh, I just want to admit right now that I don't feel that I am mentally or physically or spiritually prepared for what uh, happened, uh, but we're here. So when has growth ever been easy? So I want to start by talking about Elijah. And Elijah is um, being one of the prophets that I've just got into the Bible and just started to explore his life and just been so excited about. And so I want to share some of that today. He was an incredible prophet of God. Uh, He was the first man ever recorded in the Bible to raise someone from the dead. Uh, He saw some incredible supernatural things happen. And he, it, he changed the direction of a nation back to God. And he had this amazing uh, connection with God, this relationship that was so close that uh, it's worth just delving in and having a study of it. So we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 17. And uh, did you know that Elijah experienced his own isolation in a nation that too went through an incredible upheaval uh, of all that was normal to them. The the place in which he lived and the people that he did life with were all placed in disarray, kind of like what we're going through. And he called that season, he prophetically called that season into being because God asked him to. He went from being like this no one that no one knew to being the only one standing in the gap for a nation. So we're going to give you a bit of a background on it. Um, Ahab was the king of Israel and he married Jezebel. And Jezebel was a worshipper of Baal. And they both began to worship Baal and they brought the nation in to worship Baal as well. And they completely abandoned anything to do with God. And in fact, it says that they did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And that's pretty sad. So we're going to pick the reading up from um, chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Wow, so let's unpack this. He, this is the very first time that we read about this man, Elijah, and he speaks out this word to a king. He tells the most powerful man in the country that there's going to be a drought on his say-so, and it's not going to end unless he says so. It's a, very, it's a very strategic, prophetic, very brave declaration against Israel from a man that no one really knew. And um, what did this mean for a nation? It's pretty incredible when you think about it. It meant a change for everyone. Um, total economic crash over the next few years. Like This was a society that was an agricultural society. So... There was no growth in the fields. If it didn't rain, there was no food. There was no crops. There was, if you had no food and crops, you had no food for the animals. You had no food for the people. Um, jobs would have been lost. Households would have been struggling just to survive. Um, there was no Centrelink help. Uh, it doesn't say anywhere in the chapters that the king helped at all. And it's strange because when you think about it, it's like a similar modern day thing of what's happening now with COVID-19. It feels a bit like that. 
And then in chapter 17, uh, verse 2, uh, God says to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, I ha- and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. He went to a place of isolation, and God provided for him. And right now, I'm pretty sure that you can connect to that side of where Elijah is at. And over the last few weeks, I've just got to say that I have really struggled in reconciling what's happening in the world to what God actually says and is doing. Like the reality of the situation compared to the truth of God and what he's called us to do. And I would describe it as me standing here and there's big wall and then God's standing on the other side of the wall and I just can't quite get through and it's that separation it's that lack of um, direction and understanding in the changing of the times and that lack of preparedness spiritually Uh, and I have this unique experience of seeing this play out in the hospital because I'm a nurse and also seeing it play out in my home uh, being isolated with the kids And in preparation to speak, I actually felt like I had nothing. I had nothing to give and it was really frustrating me because I felt like I couldn't hear what God was saying. And then one morning in my frustration, I was text messaging um, one of my besties and I was just complaining to her about not being able to connect and she gave me some breakthrough advice. She gave me this word from something she was reading uh, that Nate and Christy Johnson had said and uh, I just want to read it to you. She said, it said, did you know that the enemy has a prophetic word he wants to speak over your life? He tries to speak it in those painful situations, the hard circumstances, the trials, and his mission is focused on your attention and your agreement with his bad report of destruction and robbery in your life. But it's a lie, a counterfeit, an illusion. John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, but God wants to give you life and life in abundance. When God gives you a prophetic word, it is delivered to you with the Holy Spirit life and creative power upon it to transform whatever you are facing into what God is saying over you. So to use those words as a weapon is to simply keep them before us and to go over them, and to continue speaking them out, decreeing them, letting them align with the truth so that it absolutely just saturates your spirit. And then she said to me, go back to that prophetic words that have been spoken over your life. Go back to the prophetic words that people have said about you. And I have got those on my phone. I've got recordings that people have sent me where I've been prayed for and people have spoken over my life. And also I've got recordings of where people have spoken over the church. And uh, I went back and I started to listen and I just started to get so excited uh, because it was, she was right. There is such a change and it encouraged me so much. And I just encourage you to find somebody who has the word that was spoken over our church uh, that Pastor Corey Turner spoke and to listen to that again. Find you know, anything that you've written down that was spoken over, to, over you, recorded and just re-listen and just get excited again because God has a plan and he has not forgotten. 
So getting back to Elijah in Kings 17, I just really believe that this was a season of pruning for him. He went into isolation and it was a time of preparation privately with God, allowing him to deal with his heart issues. And I don't, don't think that he didn't have any because when I've been looking in a few chapters time, he actually struggles with a major heart issue and it causes him to stumble. And honestly, who hasn't done that in their life? Who doesn't have issues? So he wanted, God wanted to do something through Elijah but had to do something in him first to sustain what God had placed on him. And he has to do something in you before he can do something through you. And my first point today is hold on to your hope. Hold on to your hope. Elijah isn't the only person in the Bible, after a bit of researching, that God took into a season of isolation. Moses, for example. Moses, in Exodus, spent his first 40 years thinking that he was somebody, growing up with the king, thinking he's the king's son, and then recognises that it's much more complex than that, and then he tries to fix the situation himself by killing a guy and then hiding him, and then he's found out and he spends the next 40 years in the wilderness, in isolation, before God can actually find him and set him on the course of his life, of restoration. Joseph. Joseph had a dream. He tells his brothers and they, that they're going to bow down to him and then spends years where he's in a different place and then in jail, left forgotten. All the while, God is dealing with his pride and his character, testing him along the way, refining him. Esther. She's another one. Private isolation, preparation in the kingdom on her outside. Um, but you know what? She was there to be the kings, but deeper than that, God was also doing a heart preparation for her in that moment where she could have shrunk back in fear. She, through Mordecai's wisdom, she listened and then she found that at such a time as this, she was to stand forward. David. David had a prophet come to his house when he was just a boy to anoint one of his brothers as the next king. His dad not only didn't consider him he thinks that he's only good for tending sheep Samuel the prophet has to ask Jesse if there's another son David gets anointed finally when he when he's found and as a future king and then he goes back into the field to tend the sheep all of these people had a time of isolation each in their own way where God worked on their character each one came through holding on to the hope that God had a plan for them though they each made mistakes Realise that undealt with issues in your heart are the very thing that the enemy will try and take you out of the race with. From studying a few chapters after Elijah's time of isolation, we can have some insight into what he was maybe dealing with in the Kerith ravine. So if we look at it, in chapter 18, halfway through, we go to chapter 25, uh, chapter 25, verse 18. You know, he challenges the prophets of Baal to build an altar and, each, and then challenges them and says that one true God, that God that is true, will send a fire down to light that altar. And uh, he took, he didn't just build the altar. When he built his altar, he got 12 stones. And I really believe that he was intentionally reminding Israel that was watching the people of Israel of what tribe, which tribe they each came from. That represented, 12 stones represented each tribe. And uh, they're part of something bigger. And of course, God comes through and the fire falls and Elijah then doesn't stop there. He climbs a mountain and he prays to God 
uh, seven times, sending his servant out, seven times, go back and look for a cloud, seven times, go back and look for a cloud, just looking for a sign that the drought had broken. It's pretty incredible. And then finally, the drought breaks. So you would think that after this spiritual high, he would be in this incredibly secure place with God, like the pinnacle of his relationship. Jezebel, the king's wife, hears all that he's done and she sends a message to him. May the gods deal with me ever so severely. And this is in, I'll just tell you where this is so you can stay along. It's in chapter 19, verse 2. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And he's talking, she's talking about uh, the, the Baal prophets that Elijah killed. So from Elijah, we're expecting this incredible response. Like he's just had this amazing spiritual high where God has just uh, done some incredible miracles. But... Elijah responds in a way that I guess I wasn't expecting. In 19, chapter 19, verse 3, it said, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Imagine the anxiety that he must have been feeling. That's incredible. I just want to, it just made me stop and go, wow. And I just want to say, no matter whether you're one day into your relationship with God or you're 40 years in, into your journey that you can be at the pinnacle of your relationship with God and still be overcome with emotional, mental, physical responses to things that happen when you, sh- when you, f- you shouldn't, as in when you feel like it shouldn't happen and you can be overcome and you can do things that you feel like you shouldn't be doing or um, things happen and your, re- your reaction can be not how you thought it was and that's okay. And it brings me to my second point which is let's try and deal with our stuff. Imagine if Elijah hadn't had the isolation and preparation time. The pressure of one man facing a king, a nation calling out miracles, like he's facing all of these people and he's calling out all of these miracles and and he's calling them to return their hearts to God and if his internal issue was fear, then I'm not sure that this story would have played out like it did with such confidence if he hadn't have been in the Kerith Ravine spending that time with God dealing with the stuff that he had to deal with. But he's tired. He's spent, he's done and he's run. And in chapter 19, verse 4, while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to the broom bush and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. So he gets under a broom bush and pretty much, uh, if you think about it, there was a massive uh, drought. So the only bush, it's, it's a very hardy, resistant bush to drought. So it's probably the only thing that was giving him any shade. And he lays under it and he's praying that he's had enough. Now, hang on a minute. I got really confused here because I was like, hang on a second. He's just run away for a day because the queen is threatening to kill him. And yet he gets under the bush and he asks God to kill him because he's through and through. Like, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And I just want to say that sometimes when you get so overloaded, things just don't make sense. And stuff that you say just doesn't make sense. And the way you react just doesn't make sense. 
And I want to point out that discouragement can creep in and how quickly it can come and it can ruin everything. And also, disappointment. Disappointment kills dreams. If it doesn't work out the way that you think it's going to work out or if it didn't happen the way it should have happened, disappointment can colour your future if you don't deal with it. Both of these can pull you away from a future that you feel that God has held out. You know, you can feel like he's, he's holding out on you or that he's not doing something in your life or that you've missed out because you did something and it's not true. And also, Elijah makes this statement, I am no better than my ancestors. Now, this really stood out to me because we all know that our family lines in them, there are struggles, there's generational curses, there's things that we wish we didn't have, that we were like our grandparents or parents or whatever. You know, he's obviously fought hard to change himself to follow God and now just like the Israelites, he's done the very thing that he's trying to get them to repent from. He has turned away and ran away from God and he's trying to get them as a nation to come back to God. And I bet he feels incredibly stupid. But the most incredible thing about this is that God's response, like what does he do? Does he get angry? He could have, he had every right to. No, he perfectly deals with where Elijah is at and I absolutely love that. He sends an angel and he gives him food and he gives him drink and he tells him to sleep. Sometimes to get in a better headspace and get it like an attitude reset, you just need the basics. You just need food, you need water, you need rest and then you can reset and you get to think clearly and you can make some positive choices. My third point today is choose to draw close. You may not be able to change the situation, but you can change your response. You can change your response to that situation. We all have a way of coping with life, don't we? And when things get stressful, especially, like it's, it's important to make that the, the things that we go to go back to good and healthy and growing things because the comfort stuff, the bad habits, the things that are generally the easiest to go to and the things that we cling to because they're the less stressful things, in the end, they're not the best. Even though at the time, they feel like they're helping. Now look, I'm not saying that we be superhuman. I'm just saying let's be real. I don't need to tell you what you struggle with. The majority of the time... No one needs to point out our failings. You know, if you're honest with this yourself, you know them. Uh, I am acutely aware of my own failings. And uh, I want to point something else out. From this time where Elijah is under the bush, he did a 40-day journey to a cave and then a 40-day journey back and he went to a mountain called Mount Horeb. And that is translated as the mountain of God. He found his way back to God. And it took some time, but it was through choice. Probably redealing with the issues of fear and anxiety. But do you realise that in here, God didn't ask him to do that journey. He started that journey when he ran. And then he finished it by drawing close to God and choosing to draw close to God. So when the time came and there was an earthquake, it says, and, and there was a wind and there was a fire and then there was a whisper, we all know that story well, 
Elijah knew that when the presence of God came, it was in the whisper. And it was not there based on what he saw or based on what he heard. He didn't go outside the cave because he heard the earthquake. Even though, you know, fire came down and he'd seen incredible miracles, he knew in that whisper that is where the presence of God was. And you know why? Because he actually knew God. And God knew him. And that's pretty amazing. It was a progressive, moving, living relationship. Not based on a formula, how it should be or how it could be or how we wish it was. It was a live, living relationship that he had and he just knew. And I just want to finish with this. When, I just want to read out part of a prophetic uh, message that Corey Turner came down and prophesied over you, over our church. And if you're not part of our church, then you can, uh, you can be part of our church anytime you want. <laughs> because this word, I just want to finish by this. He reads it, he, he speaks it out, and I've only written part of it down, and I just want to finish on it. So listen to this. Church, God is leading you into a season of prayer, leading you into a season of intimacy, leading you into a season of the secret place, there is going to become messages about the secret place. There is going to come, be, become messages about intimacy. And the Lord says that out of intimacy, I am going to birth revival fires. Out of intimacy, I am going to bring an awakening of people's hearts. Out of intimacy, you are going to find a boldness, the courage and the zeal to open up your mouth and give a reason for the hope that you have. God says, I am calling you to pick up your prayer life again. I am calling you to run to that prayer closet again. I am calling you to run to that place of corporate fire, corporate prayer, so that my word would not return void, so that it will accomplish what it sent out to perform. You have not passed this way before. How true is that? You have not passed this way before. Don't think we've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, seen it. No, you haven't. Because God says, behold, I am doing a new thing. It's not supposed to look how it used to look. How true is that? New wineskins, new move, cutting off, changing of the guard. In every generation, in every season, I have to do a new thing. A new drumbeat, a new sound. You can be a spectator or a participator. Your response to his heart determines whether you spectate the move of God or you become the move of God. Church, let's become the move of God. Thank you.